Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to the Gym Session. My name is Jimmy Sabo and I'm here thanks to Sportsmate Mobile, TLA and the Footy Live app. Make sure you download the Footy Live app today for all your stats, scores, highlights, news and opinions and of course your podcast. Today's pod is as massive as the margin the Tigers beat the Saints by, but luckily not as long as Carlton's rebuild. In fact, I'm not even as old as Carlton's rebuild. As a lie, I was one when the Blues last won the flag, and uh, coincidentally, that's my IQ. No, coincidentally, that was the same season our guest today started his official senior coaching career. It's Mr. Gary Ayres, who's won more premierships than Collingwood fans have teeth. His five flags and two Norm Smith medals are just some of the amazing accomplishments of his playing and coaching career, and he'll have a chat about it all shortly. Nick and Gordo will come in to bring you the Monday Review panel on a Tuesday and wrap up an entertaining weekend of footy. And I always find it funny, though, that we're only 21.7% of the way through the season and we're still so sure about so many teams. Um, It's like, I guess, being 25 minutes through a movie and claiming you know precisely how it's going to end. That's what it's like. And now, unless you're a North supporter, you're still unsure exactly where you'll finish on the ladder come season's end. It's going to be a lot of plot twists, and that is the best thing about footy, that you don't know where to put your money on unless it's on North winning the spoon. Now, I'll stop. On the weekend, literally someone asked me, why do you hate North so much? You keep giving it to them. But I honestly don't. I just copped it a lot as a child um, growing up with the Tigers failing season after season. So now, when my side's going well, I can return the favour a little bit and enjoy it while it lasts because we know that nothing lasts forever except for Carlton's rebuild. Now, before we get to the rest of the pod, let's get to our wonderful round recap to cover off the results of the weekend. Yes, Jimmy! <laughs> The Saints were soulless on Thursday night as the once bright optimism of finals hopes is now looking a whole lot dimmer. Hardwick looked like he'd installed the fresh wheels on the Tiger Mobile and didn't forget the Jack. Rewalt kicked five and their linchpin slotted three. Dusty got dirty and other teams were kicking themselves for not investing in McIntosh. St Kilda couldn't steal a comeback this week coming up 85 points short. It was one of the players St Kilda fans wouldn't mind getting to their club. They're over the hill. The Pies were looking crisp early, leading the Eagles at quarter time. More accurate kicking kept them in it, but Darcy was left shouting how, as one magpie hurt a leg and the other copped it in the beak. Oscar should have won the award for the best picture with one of the marks and goals, although Allen wasn't the only one who should have been nominated. Fans knew she'd be right, Gaff made no errors, and Liam dug in deep for 36 possessions. Eagles by a comfortable five goals. The Suns never rose on Saturday while the Dogs sniffed out an early lead. The trelaw of averages suggested Adam would be in for another big game, and he was. Luke Beveridge had so much control, it looked like he was typing out his own match-winning margin on Word. Just needed to select the size and bond. Stewie's men are due for a win, and this one is hard to swallow. Dogs by 62 smackos. Once again, Leon Cameron proved greens were beneficial to giant growth, as the side's second consecutive win even impressed their demanding mummy. Kelly wasn't joshing when he kicked the winner, and while they got the bragging rights for winning the Battle of the Bridge, a ward would be nice. There's no friends in footy, and GWS proved it by upsetting a buddy, despite the fact he kicked five. Giants by a short margin of two points. There was no blue skies in night footy for David Teague, as his mid-strength Carlton wasn't the weakest thing served up at the G. The side's performance was so sobering, they decided to stay away from Wines too, who ended up as the top possession getter. Just poor. Cripps might need to check his bloods as he looked lifeless and sad. Port were powerful, though, with things turning out all rosy. 
Port Adelaide a true contender? Aim on to that. The power by 28 points. The Lions' pride was restored with a deadly kill in the swamp, with Danaher scoring while his exes watched. Even the hooker couldn't believe his eyes, as Daniel proved this week, being rich does make you happy. Waterman hated the rain, and the Bombers left Snelling bad. They'll now have to go back to the parish for some guidance and faith. Brisbane by 10 goals. Everyone in Adelaide now hates Mondays, as David made his family proud by sinking the Crows in a delightful Dockers win. Nat deserves a high five for his last quarter efforts, while the Crows were left flat on their Jordan butts. After a win over the Hawks the previous week, this may be the chera on top of the comeback cake. It was bloody aish. 3 by 12 points. After the Hawks kicked the first goal of the last, the Dees were gone for all money. The big man stepped up and Jaden proved his team are truly in the hunt. Frost ended up being cold and Jack wasn't scrimshore of his role. Hawthorne put up a fight, but the fans were left asking for Dylan Moore. Demons at 5-zip. Still any doubters? That's just Harrison Petty. Melbourne by 50 points. Geelong's performance was reminiscent of my puns, unconvincing and poor. They beat the ruse, but it was close. Brad had 15 touches and kicked a goal, but Brandon was the only one who looked par fit. Nick was lucky to kick a couple from his five touches, and Jack worked hard all the way until Zibel. Great Scott, they don't look convincing. Would you tip him every week? Selwood. Gats by 30 points. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Apologies. Uh-huh, that's right. That's actually pretty good. Oh, thank you. Puns are good. I enjoyed that. Okay, today's guest is one of the most relentless, toughest, and talented footballers we've ever seen in our great game. He was part of Hawthorne's successful sides in the 80s and early 90s, winning five premierships and two Norm Smith medals. Not only was his reading of the play and ability to handle pressure useful on the field, he then used his incredible skills to coach over 200 senior games at Geelong and Adelaide in the AFL and he's coming up to his 250th in charge of Port Melbourne in the VFL. He's won two flags with a brilliant winning record at the Borough and we're sure it's set to get even better. Alan Jean said he was a great driver in heavy traffic but I like to describe him as a great driver of heavy traffic because every time he speaks people flock to hang off every word he says it's my great privilege and pleasure to welcome Mr Gary Ayres. How are you Gaz? Um, well James, wow mate that's a very very kind introduction so maybe we just leave the podcast at that eh? So we don't have to add any more mate. <laughs> no you've got plenty to add mate, plenty to add. I wanted to ask you a tough one first though Gary, how does it feel to see so many mullets back in fashion? You must be pretty proud of that. <laughs> Oh, very, very proud, James. I never actually thought it would ever make a reintroduction yeah. after, after all those years. And as you would know, some of the boys, I think, used to wear them pretty well, but some yeah. of them were quite outrageous. And now some of the ones that the boys are rocking with, it certainly does warm the cockles of your heart, as they would say. So what's old is new again, mate. So yeah. glad to see that the growth and the length is back again. Exactly. And you're the man behind it. So it's good to see. <laughs> hey, how is it to be back coaching footy for points after I think it was a 573 day wait? How was it to be back on the weekend? Yeah, look, it was great to finally have some meaningful game that was in relation to the new competition, the changes, and obviously the length of time, as you said, and Look, the result didn't go the way that we wanted it to go, but it is only round one. So 
there was a fair bit of, I think, expectation and certainly excitement. Mm-hmm. And we're obviously fully aware of what the new competition brings and being part of a, a 22-team competition now and still being one of, I guess, what we would like to think is the VFL powerhouse team. And we can't wait for, obviously, what's going to be ahead of us. So we, we need to be better, there's no doubt about that. But again, when you think about a couple of false starts last year, then the season was a write-off. And then we really didn't introduce the boys back to much until probably early December. And that was only a couple of nights a week. Then we had a break for Christmas. And then we got back in the end of January. So... As long as we can improve our injury list, James, I'll be very, very happy and start playing some good footy. But, yeah, nah, great to have footy back. You realise what you've missed when you haven't had it for a long time. Yeah, that's it. And you've got Sandy this week, I think, and uh, I'm, I'm tipping you to get the win there, so I'll be watching. Um, I wanted to ask you quickly about the anti-density rules because they were a hot topic a, f- a few weeks ago when uh, some of the AFL coaches saw them in pracky matches. They've been tweaked a bit now. I think it's only the two players in the 50 per team for the throw-in and kick-ins. How have you found that, that rule? We'll be back after a quick break. We had the, the first game on the weekend, as we discussed, with the anti-density rules. And I must admit, there was a couple of boys from uh, both sides, Ashley and Port Melbourne, who got a little bit fatigued and then forgot. And, of yeah. course, they <laughs> were obviously the umpires adjudicated that there were infringements and subsequently free kicks. So we got a couple and they got a couple. And, unfortunately, a couple of those resulted in goals at uh, Pretty inappropriate times, mate. Mm. So I think it says a little bit about what the boys need to get used to. And no doubt they've only got a certain amount of time. I think it's 12 seconds from when a boundary throw-in, as in the boundary umpire, blows the whistle. And our boys, as I said, when it was getting pretty hot up there at uh, Ashley on Saturday, I think they got a little bit fatigued mentally. You've got to be right on the ball because the umpires aren't giving you any leeway at all. So I found them okay. Defensively, we were pretty ordinary, mate. Like, Ashley kicked 10 goals in the first quarter, so our defensive mechanisms weren't great. And they ended up scoring 20 goals for the game. So it says a little bit about, I think, what they were doing and what we weren't doing in relation to offense and defense. But I think overall, only having seen it for one game, it's going to be pretty important that players remember that they have to do it. Otherwise, it could be a costly infringement and... You don't want to be losing a game because you've forgotten or you're fatigued. And, of course, the result, as we know, is pretty important to try and get that four points. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Hey, you've had an incredible um, career at Port Melbourne. So I think this is your 14th season now. You've won two flags. You're nearly at your 250th game in charge. Unbelievable winning record. 
was the was that undefeated season in 2011? Was that your highlight at the borough? You know, people said it couldn't happen. A standalone club couldn't win a flag, and you went and <laughs> went out and smashed them. Didn't get beaten. You had the perfect season. <laughs> yeah, I'd certainly say that's one of our greatest accomplishments because, as you quite rightly pointed out, there was a lot of noise outside the footy club anyway that mm. a standalone VFL team could not win a competition premiership in. Obviously, a competition that we probably think with AFL alignments and um, certainly clubs that are fully aligned, it would be extremely difficult. But we set it on a journey, if you like, way back in 2008. We recruited, I believe, really well up over a period of probably three years running into that 2011 season. And we just set about doing what we thought we were capable of and that was winning enough games to make the final, then trying to finish as high as we could. Top four gives you a double chance. And then, of course, it was a case of hopefully qualifying for the grand final. And we had a wonderful run with injury. We had our best players available quite often throughout the course of the year. We had some amazing efforts from some amazingly talented players when maybe the scores were a little bit tight at different stages, but they were to step up and lead the rest of the group and then as you said mate it all came together against our arch enemy in Williamstown and they got off to a flyer and from quarter time on we actually ended up picking 20 goals and they ended up scoring seven I believe from memory so it was a wonderful achievement even the 217 one when you think back to that we were um, horribly in debt we had said about making some changes financially and, of course, at the end of the season, we won a wonderful premiership there against uh, Richmond, who at the time their AFL team was flying and their VFL team was flying. So to do it consistently, we've only missed the finals here once in 12 completed seasons. So I think that's a credit to all the players that have been part of Port Melbourne for a long, long time. And we hopefully can continue to do it again and we'll just see how we... Um, see perform over that consistent period, but trying to get players to play consistently well, I think, is the coach's job. And um, thankfully, more often than not, the players have been wonderful in rewarding the coach with that type of play on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis. So, yeah, some some great highlights there at Port and hopefully more to come. But even uh, your playing career, there was more highlights. You had five flags in an incredible team, two Norm Smiths. I know the 89 Grand Finals regarded as one of the best of all time, but do you have a special moment throughout your career that stands out as a number one highlight? Just playing league football, I think, James. Mm. As a young boy growing up in the country, you're tending to watch a lot of what you call idols and superstars on the TV and at the uh, age of 17 I was lucky enough to walk into the Hawthorne Football Club as a skinny little kid and of course you're rubbing shoulders with Lee Matthews eight-time best and theorist Michael Tucker went on and played well over 400 games Peter Knight was a superstar Calvin Moore Don Scott John Hendry Alan Martello the list just goes on and on and on and then within a short period of time, I found myself playing senior footy. And so that was a highlight to play your first game. Remember it well. It was against Footscray in 1978 and ended up jagging three goals. And then you sort of feel pretty happy with what you've been able to achieve. But then you realise footy's a great leveller. I then played the next week and then got dropped for the final. So I didn't get back in until uh, 1979. But 
that was a wonderful achievement in itself because every kid dreams to play league footy and then 1983 playing your first uh, grand final, then going on and winning a premiership by a fair margin. And you get into a situation where you're wanting to win desperately, but of course the game was probably well and truly put away by three-quarter time, so then you can sit back and enjoy it and I guess revel in what the achievement is, the sacrifices that you made, but did you think you were then going to go on and play another seven grand finals? No, but that was in Hawthorne's DNA to be able to successfully, I guess, perform at a level and the superstars that we had, we probably had, I guess, all Australians on every line. So it's hard to quantify just one. Mm. And even even the grand final wins, James, they're, they're all for different reasons, yep. whether it was 83, as I said, your first, 86, because we'd been beaten in back-to-back flags in 84, 85 by Essendon. Then, of course, we then lost to Carlton in 87. We won again in 88, and that was the catalyst for them going on and being the first team to win back-to-back. And then, of course, we were able to then come back in 91 after a pretty ordinary start, and a lot of us were getting older. Chucky was 38, Chrissy New 31, I was 31. Chrissy Langford would have probably been around 28, 29. So... Uh, guys that had been playing for a while, Dipper retired, John Kennedy Jr. retired, Swabby retired, so yeah, there was a fair bit of change, so all those were just outstanding, I guess, achievements from a team that was hell-bent on being the best that it could be at all times. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned those guys as well, and the, the, the Berridans, Tuck, Dunstall, Dipper, Matthews, Bacchanara, Platten, who was the most enjoyable to play alongside, and, and what was that secret that made them so good? Like, how did you achieve that success? What was it about that group? Oh, look, James, I loved playing with them all. Yep. I loved every player that I was able to play with and, and the journey that I was on. I was, as I said, started as a 17-year-old kid and finished almost shy of 33. So it's 16 years. And I think the chemistry and the synergy and the camaraderie that the boys had and the nucleus of the team, that especially when Alan Jeans came, was starting to be moulded and we didn't make the finals under his first year. Actually, we didn't make the finals in 79, 80 and 81, and then he came to the club in 81, and you could just feel a real change, and then 82, it started again as in growing, and we made the prelim, and then, of course, we had that run of um, uh, basically eight grand finals in nine years, so I think a lot of it was to do with Alan Jeans as well, but also, to the personnel that we had. He then was able to take us all on a journey of improvement, confidence and talent, I guess. And then we had other guys that we added, as you mentioned, guys like Johnny Platten, guys like Jason Dunstall, Darren Pritchard, and then a bit later on the likes of, say, Andy Gowers, Tony Hall, Anthony Condon, Stevie Lawrence, guys like that that then came to the fore when we needed them in 1991 because they all showed significant improvement. So, yeah, I think it was just the camaraderie, the chemistry, the synergy and just the... The, on, the off-field stuff is always what everyone sees, but behind the scenes there was such a unity and a strength within the group. I think we would have been pretty hard to uh, have the opposition beat us at any stage, mate, and we were able to have that over a long period of time with how many final series. I think we played in every final series from 82 to 93, and then I think we made them again in 94, even though I wasn't there. So that's an enormous effort yeah. to do it year after year. Unbelievable. Hey, just on Jeansy, uh, quickly, there was the, in the 89, 89 grand final, there was that famous speech, wasn't there, that was spoken about. Could you explain what that was to me? 
Yeah, look, it was amazing. There, I think when you have a coach who walks in, there are some players, and, and I was one of them, that just stood tall when Alan Jeans arrived. He was the most influential football person on my career. He knew what to say, how to say it, and I just basically grew. I was only 20 when he came to the footy club, so you're still learning about what AFL football was, VFL football was about, and he showed me the way, gave me the confidence, and I think that's an extremely important attribute from a coaching point of view. He has to give the players confidence and not take it away, and his man management was just amazing, and how he spoke to the group, he could inspire the boys, and None more so that 89 half time. It was a pretty hot game, even though I think we might have been maybe five or six goals in front at half time. Probably should have been a bit further in front. And he spoke about a story, was about a young boy that had saved some money and he wanted to go to a shoe shop and buy a pair of shoes. So him and his mother went along. And when he got to the shop, he asked his mother, what should he do? Should he buy the cheap pair or should he buy the more expensive pair? And his mother basically said to him, it's about paying the price. And if you buy the, the dearer pair, it will last longer. And Alan was just firing this story off and we thought he was just about ready to explode. He was getting that excited. We thought he might have even been having another brain aneurysm, to be honest. <laughs> and, um, and he was, and he had this wonderful ability with his voice to raise and lower it. And, of course, the more excited he got, the more his voice was raised. And he was imploring us to pay the price in this game. And we would basically be able to say that, one, we were the first team that ever won back-to-back flags. But also, two, this would be something that would be remembered forever. And it would basically last a lifetime, which clearly it has in a lot of instances. So... It was about paying the price. I got quite emotional. I remember walking out of the change room with Dermot and um, I had tears streaming down my cheek and I thought this you know, the grand final and we knew definitely what was online. But if any of the boys were unsure about what we needed to do, they were very, very sure and clear with what Alan Jeans wanted. And um, you know, we went on and were able to hang in there and hang tough and pay the price and won a wonderful grand final. Mm-hmm. Hey, you said he had a, a, a huge influence on you as a player, but as a coach, I'm sure as well. Um, do you use that type of storytelling in your coaching now, and did you do it through your time as an AFL coach? Oh, definitely. Yeah. There are philosophies and, I guess, life in general skills that Alan was able to give all of us at Hawthorne, and as we said, he made such an impact on all of us, and it was very, very sad when, He ended up obviously passing away. He became a mentor for me from a coaching perspective as well. But his ability to tell stories about just the fundamentals of life and make you understand what you needed to do and how you needed to do it. And being a representative of the Hawthorne Football Club, he used to talk about being an ambassador for the club. If you're going to be doing that, you need to put the blazer on. If you don't, take it off Mm -hmm. and... He talked about things like donating your dirty linen in public, so whatever was said within the organisation needed to stay within the organisation. He used to get very, very angry if anything had sort of leaked out from the general media because I don't think he personally had a lot of time for the media. Mm-hmm. And to be humble in victory, and he was uh, quite funny at different times as well. He had a 
a pretty interesting, uh, I guess, personality behind the four walls of the Hawthorne Footy Club, and we just all loved him. So, yeah, he was an absolute inspiration to so many of us, and I know so many of us were asked about him when he passed away, and I think to a man, everyone was just so, I guess, delighted to have been part of his time at Hawthorne, but also, too, we just owed him so much for what he was able to do with us as footballers, but more importantly, as people and as human beings. Mm-hmm. Another man who had an influence was obviously Malcolm Blight. So you took over at, well, at first you were an assistant under him, but you took over as senior coach in 95. You made the grand final in your first year. You were only 34, I think, at the time as a senior coach, and you're coaching a strong side that has Gary Ablett Senior as well. How did you go as a young coach straight away and to coach, be in charge of a superstar like Ablett? Made a lot of mistakes, James, I can tell you that, that a rookie coach would uh, would do because you think you know a little bit yeah. about footy, but once you step away from the playing and then you become a coach, it's just all-encompassing. You've got to yeah. be understanding of your list and what the individual characteristics are. You can't coach them all the same, and that takes a little bit of learning. And then you've got the pressure of obviously competing against, at the time, coaches like a an experienced David Park and a Mick Malthouse, a Kevin Sheedy. And Malcolm was was wonderful for me personally. He was great to talk to about football. He was very different to uh, David Park and Alan Jeans and Alan Joyce, who were the coaches that I'd obviously had in my 16 years at Hawthorne. And I tell you what, he gave me one terrific piece of advice when I first started coaching the reserves and I just stepped straight out of football and the Geelong Reserves, after seven games, we'd actually lost all seven games. So I said to him, can I have a chat to you? Mm. He said, yeah, sure. And I asked him, how do you think I'm coaching? And he said to me straight back, how do you think you're coaching? I said, well, <laughs> results-wise, we're going terrible. Yeah. He goes, no, how do you think you're coaching? So I had a, a real thought about it, and I came back with the the reply that I was actually coaching all the players as if they were clones of me and I'd stepped out of VFL, AFL footy after 16 years. So I got back to coaching the individual strengths and weaknesses Mm -hmm. and from that point on, we won the next eight in a row Mm -hmm. and finished the season at 11 wins and 11 losses and just missed out on the final. So that was a wonderful piece of advice. Coaching a Gary Ablett, you had to take whatever he was going to give you because it was all encompassing with how he trained when he trained and then how he performed on match day and he was a superstar there's no doubt about that he could turn games single-handedly and there's not that many players that play that you could genuinely say that about them he had some different philosophies I guess on how he thinks football should be played and how his preparation was based around that and that's okay because there are individuals but I think he kicked 125 goals in his first year with me under uh, in 1995. And um, then the next year, he sort of ran into a bit of a nasty suspension. He got five weeks for um, hitting a young bloke by the name of Christian Bardsley from St Kilda. And I reckon from that point on, he, he sort of battled a bit. And then he retired uh, early 1997 from memory. Mm. Hey, does '97 still bug you at all? I mean, you're probably you're the best you're the best side in it, and if that if that Mark to Lee Colbert was paid, I reckon yeah. you'd win the game. Do you still think about it? Oh, James, thanks for bringing it up, mate. <laughs> Sorry, mate. 
no, you're right. I couldn't believe that. I thought Lee Colbert, one of the most courageous yeah. young men I've had the pleasure of coaching, went on to become captain and unfortunately only captain in a practice game because he uh, tore his ACL mm. in 1999 and... It was a little bit of a philosophical and generational change for Lee to captain the club, but it never turned out that way. And yes, I still have nightmares all these years later, mate. I can tell you it was something that as the umpiring has evolved, then other umpires will now potentially call a umpiring infringement or yeah. free kick, whatever you want to call it. And back in those days, they didn't. So the umpire clearly didn't see it or who knows I've never ever discussed it with the umpire in charge mm. but I think at the time we were in front Lee was probably 30 metres out directly yeah. in front and we had all the momentum and playing really really well and then they got a couple of things that um, yeah by virtue of a little bit of luck etc but again you've got to cop it and uh, Adelaide went on and won the premiership so yeah that was a really tough um, a tough pill to swallow mm -hmm. and um I do think about it at times, as you said, we finished equal top on percentage. Yeah. Uh, we, because of that, we finished second. Then I think we hit North Melbourne on a Sunday night, on a wet, miserable night. Wayne Carey's kicked six or seven goals, and uh, we scored, I think, nine goals, and they scored 11. And then, yeah, we had to go to Adelaide because that was the quirkiness of the draw, too, as far as the finals fixture. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but anyway, it wasn't to be, mate. So, um you got to be there to win it, that's for sure. That's it. And then you end up coaching Adelaide, obviously, from 2000 to 2004. You make the finals in three consecutive seasons, including that prelim against the Pies. You had a win record of better than 50%, and then you do get that phone call, I think, in 2004. <laughs> to say, I've heard you say, though, Gary, that you said you weren't shocked, but can you explain why you weren't shocked? Because I think a lot of people yeah. were. Yeah, look, it was an interesting build-up. We had had some injury issues early days. We weren't getting our best players on the park. And even though we were reasonably competitive, it was just a feeling that I had amongst, I guess, time spent at the football club that the board, and it's fine, they've got to make a decision and that's their role, that I, I had a gut feeling that I wouldn't be reappointed and... It would be a case of whatever would happen, whether you'd see the year out or not. And then obviously we weren't winning games as we would like. We are being beaten, not by a lot. I know we got beaten pretty easy round one, but the games that we then played in were reasonably competitive. We had a, a bad loss against uh, Carlton when uh, Favola kicked an unbelievable goal from mm. the boundary line and we were in front and should have won, but again, we didn't and there were issues there. And then we actually came out and beat Footscray in my last game by or Western Bulldogs by about six goals, I think yeah, it was yeah. from memory. And um, I just had this feeling after that loss that something was going to potentially be up because we had the mid-season bye. And mm -hmm. I got the phone call going to work on the Monday morning because I was doing some mid-season interviews and, the CEO said he needed to catch up with me beforehand, which is fine. And I thought, well, that was unusual. So mm. he walked into his office and it was a pretty short meeting. It was only about 10, 15 minutes. And he said that um, you are not being offered a continuation of your contract and we don't think you can take the, the club any further. 
and we would basically like to see you see the year out and I made in mind up that that wouldn't be doable for my end. It wouldn't be healthy for the club. So they appointed Neil Craig not too long after. Yeah, Jesus. It would have been tough as well. Obviously, you're in another state. And I had, I think you had the media camped outside your house. How, how, hard, how hard is that to deal with, especially for your family as well? It must have been horrible. Yeah, look, it, it was interesting because there'd been a build-up, obviously, throughout the course of that season about my tenure there and... I understand the media have a job to do and sometimes it is an absolute, um, what would I say, uh, um, there's disregard for, yeah, other people mm. within your family structure and they are wanting one thing, which is obviously a comment, and secondly, for you to be uh, cut from the Adelaide Football Club. And again, I get all that, but I think these things at times are fairly personal and I didn't actually make um, a press conference or go to the presser yep. because, again, my decision was not because I think, well, in most instances, it ends up being the coach sits there and, of course, the CEO or whoever's doing the presser and, of course, they're making it out that everything's all hunky-dory. Well, it's not, and I didn't want to be a part of that. So uh, I made the decision not to, rightly or wrongly, and that was something that I felt quite strongly about. But again, the media are only chasing one thing, and as I said, that's a comment, and that's their job. But yeah, after a couple of days, it, it certainly quietened down, but they were camped out the front, ringing the doorbell, hiding in trees and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, but again, that's their role. Uh, that's what they've got to do. So uh, at the end of those couple of days, yeah, I ended up jumping in the car and driving back to Melbourne, and there were requests to do media things, and I did some and didn't do others, and... Again, what's it been now? Um, yeah, 17 years ago. Yeah. So it's a long time, James. It's, it's a long, long time. time. But that is part and parcel of coaching, and it's a winning taper, as we know. And if you don't win, then uh, you're more than likely not going to have a job. Mm. Hey, speaking of the media, you did some work as well. I think you did Fox Footy, you did a bit. Um, you did some, some media work covering the game. But then you, asked, you were asked by Kevin Sheedy to come in as assistant. What would you say is the biggest lesson you learned during that time? Because you said it was very, uh, it was a great experience, very influential on you. What was the biggest lesson learned under, under Sheeds? Yeah, and the media was, I, I enjoyed it from the point of view of having an opportunity to try things and potentially have a discussion about footy, which is what I love, and obviously having an opportunity to, to watch other teams live. So I actually did enjoy it. I had uh, 12, 18 months of it, I think, from memory, and Fox were great to work with and uh, did a lot of work with Jason Bennett, Kevin Bartlett, yeah. uh, guys like Matty Campbell, etc. Uh, Clinton Gribus, who was there at the time, um, so Jim Wilson. So, yeah, there were some pretty experienced guys in the media. And then Kevin out of the blue gave me a call and said that he was looking for an assistant coach. And I thought, geez, this would be a wonderful opportunity mm. to be part of some organisation uh, and a, a successful coach in Kevin who'd been doing it for 26 or 27 years, something like that. And you very rarely get the opportunity to work with the great coaches because in some instances you're certainly coaching against them. Yeah. So. I was a line coach defensively. I had the ability to work with the young defenders and I really enjoyed the role for the two years that I was there. And it gave me a lot of confidence because coaching is a bit like playing. You can lose your confidence from at different times. Yeah. So the things I was able to glean from Kevin 
how he went about his match day stuff, how he went about his meetings, how he went about his training, what he did during the week. And, yeah, it was great. It was interesting. Some of the things Kevin did were similar to what I'd been doing mm-hmm. and they were working. Others he did and it maybe I had a little bit more of awareness or, or, or what would I say, um, understanding ability. Maybe I could have been a bit better in that regard. So, yeah, I thought it was a great learning curve for me and, I took a, a lot of that into my time at Port Melbourne as well. Mm-hmm. Hey, last one for you, Gary. Uh, a lot of people hold the belief, including myself, that it, it's really hard to understand why you never returned back to AFL footy in a senior coaching role. Like someone with your credentials, your experience, the you know the ability you have to get the best out of any group of players as you showed at Port Melbourne. Why did it never eventuate? I think when... You look back, obviously, Geelong, we were good enough to make a grand final and then just really get beaten by a powerhouse Carlton. We'd only lost two games that year and then went to Adelaide and didn't make a grand final. And I probably felt that when you've had a couple of attempts at it, you then become yesterday's news, so to speak, and you don't really become anyone of, of any interest and I was finished at AFL level at uh, the age of 44 so now if you think over the years a lot of coaches are getting opportunities at, from probably 40 early 40s so I was uh, doing it at 34 years of age as you mentioned James so and again you can get tarred with certain things there was obviously I couldn't develop players young players that is so Again, there could be a combination of things and uh, clearly they felt I wasn't uh, worthy of an opportunity. But that's life. I've been given an opportunity at Port and I've just enjoyed it immensely. We've had the success individually. Players getting drafted, Robin Naha, Sammy Dwyer, mm-hmm. Brody Majacek, Malcolm Lynch, Kieran Strawn, Callum Sinclair then went from here to WA. Now he's up in Sydney, played over 100 games. So the two flags, players representing VFL State of Origin, Liston Trophy. So there's been a lot of really good good things that have happened. And it's all obviously all the players. The players are the ones that make the coaches, not the other way around. And I've just had a wonderful experience of not only football, but life at the Port Melbourne Footy Club. So... As they say, James, one door opens and another one closes. So that's been my philosophy all the way through. And obviously look at it from a a, uh, glass half full and try and look at it from a positive point of view. I wouldn't have experienced these things if I was given an opportunity elsewhere. Yeah, exactly right. Hey, before I let you go, with my guests, I normally do a very quick 10 fire question. So I'll ask you a question. You say the first thing that that you think of. Is that all good? Sure, James. No problem. All right, let's go. What's your favourite food? Chicken. Chicken. Favourite movie? Favourite movie? Gladiator. Gladiator, good. Uh, I know the answer to this one. I'll ask you anyway. Which coach had the biggest influence on your career? <laughs> Alan Jeans. <laughs> yeah. uh, most difficult opponent to play against? Kenny Hunter. Morning or night person? Morning. Who was easier to coach, Wayne Carey or Gary Ablett? <laughs> Wayne Carey. If you could coach any team in the AFL at the moment, who would it be? Richmond. Good, good answer. What makes you angry? Mistake. 
your favourite <laughs> your favourite quote. Don't place any restrictions on how good you can or can't be. Love it. Last one. Your favourite current AFL player. Dusty Martin. Yeah, Dusty Martin is mine too. Hey, Gary, what an absolute pleasure, mate, to have you on. I cannot honestly thank you enough. I wish you all the best of luck for the remainder of the VFL season. I will be there supporting you all the way, mate, supporting the borough. Uh, thanks again, mate. You're an absolute legend. Oh, good on you, James. It's a pleasure, mate. You made it very easy today. So keep up the good work, mate. <laughs> thank you, mate. I appreciate it. We'll chat again soon. Yeah, good on you, James. Thanks for your time, buddy. See you. See you, Bye. Mate. Here we go, boys. My second favourite part of the show when I get to talk to you lads about the weekend. Uh, Nico, Gordo, welcome. How are we feeling today? Good as always. Uh, yeah, as always. Yeah, I mean, even coming, after coming a loss. onto the podcast. It, yeah, look, I, I said it last week. I'm getting used to it, and yeah, I need to get used be. to it because you I don't do want to be to. getting my hopes up for the, the rest next of the ten season. years. Maybe I don't think you are getting That's used it. to it, Nick, because you tweeted out over the weekend. It took uh, took all of my loyalty not to walk out on that one. <laughs> Oh, that that last quarter was tough because they they built your hopes up for the first three quarters and to be let down in the last quarter like that it's just it was it was a crushing way to end the game. It was it was for you guys, but we enjoyed it because we knew you'd be upset all week, which makes us happy. Who was your hero, Nico, this week? My hero. It's a bit of a left of field choice, but I've gone for Jack Lacocious. Jack Lacocious. It's, it's left of field because his team did lose by they over got ten slaughtered. goals, but. He, he just put a sh- he put on a show. Um, he, he had eighteen disposals and sixteen of them were kicks, so, um, and it was at about eighty eight percent efficiency. I don't know what efficiency he went out, but but the point I'm getting to is mm. that his kicking is the best in the AFL. In and the I'm AFL, not I'm not talking like his efficiency wasn't th- like great because of small chip kicks that we see um, from well, I mean every now and then from players like Jake Lloyd or players that rack up a lot of kicks, but. That he was nailing pinpoint passes fifty meters away and hitting teammates on on the chest. Mm, you get emotional. Be, this wedge is good. between yeah. two bulldogs plays, and I was just thinking, and he did it multiple times I as can well. See tears coming if down. This want, means a lot. If you if you want to see a guy <laughs> kick a footy, watch, Keep it watch highlights yeah. of Jack Lacocious yeah. on the weekend. I love it. Well, he's one that didn't stop fighting when. Pretty much all of them did. That was a oh, that was a disgusting first half effort from from the Gold Coast, and at least one of them stuck it in there and and tried to fight for his club and a club oh, that I man. said was not going to play finals in a long, long time. When I said it last year, and you laughed at me, you thought they were making it two years ago. They're a long way from success, the Gold Coast Suns. I mean, they were going up against probably the informed regardless. Team of the even the, even the injuries don't count. I mean, this is just they. A lot of people said they don't have a soul. Cold Coast. That was the kind of the topic. I don't have a soul. I said they didn't have much. Culture, You're a bit harsh, they? but yeah. But that's what happens when you've got. I don't you don't have a lot of fans either, and no one holds them to account. I mean, 
But so you say no one's holding them to account. Like the coaching side, be holding them to yeah, account. Yeah, you, you need something extra, and this is why even when you talk about when we talked about A League soccer, if you're not getting relegated, there's no. You've got to have that extra. You know what's the difference, Gordo? But some a water that it's at 99 degrees, it's just hot water. One percent is boiling, and that's what you need. It's the one percent that makes a difference. Did you know though, if you fill that water up with some kind of solution like a salt or something, the boiling temperature actually drops. So the better you are as a club, the better your assets, the quicker you get to boiling point. So maybe it's just the fact that they don't have the cattle on the park to oh, be as welcome good as to science hour on right, Tuesday. Like that was good, class. Gordo. Who was your hero? Uh, other than he- your professor at the science lab <laughs> over the weekend. Oh, the science lab. Uh, it's Mister Cryogenics himself, David Mundy. Yeah. Undefeated by Father Time. I'm going to keep the science. He's, thing he's another there. one that people say is the best kick in the AFL, and he's not far off. Mm. But behind the coaches, uh, he's behind not, he didn't quite go at eighty-eight percent stats there for you there, Nico. Yeah. Care of Footy Live, your own, oh, your own app. Go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. about um, Monday on a Tuesday. Monday okay. on a Tuesday, and mostly because, again, a bit left field. Not because he's not playing good footy this year; he's playing amazing footy. But everyone would have thought last year, Freo can't play finals. The old question that Kane Corns, apparently an analyst that I'm very similar to, yeah. would say, is, that, is, he, <laughs> is, he in, is he in their next premiership side? You know, and, clearly, and clearly not. And therefore, according to the Kane's claw, Kane Corns law of uh, list management, he should yeah. just be culled. And should they just move on from anyone old because not going to be in the top eight? And they said, no, I'm going to stay with him because you have to learn how to play football off someone. And he's teaching the Freo midfield how to play football. Yeah, well, he almost won the game single-handedly. His last seven disposals, I think, I think six of them were score involvements. So it was incredible. Like that's when you know your best players step up when they needed, uh, when they needed the most. And he, he and Fife did win that game for them in the last quarter. I mean, it was only against Adelaide, so we can't get too excited, Gordo. I know you've tipped them for the flag, but Port, <laughs> Port he, he, Freo are, are, are way away. Now, I don't think they can creep into the eight. You still do. You've put money on it. Yep. You said you were going to cash out. If you believe in your bet, do not cash out. No, but a smart man needs to use that money to reinvest elsewhere. And so now that I... A smart now, man makes smart bets, and I don't think that's a smart bet. Well, it is a smart bet when the odds are in your favour. But more importantly, you can cash out and then you can do other things like fade the dogs, for instance. But we'll get to that in you know, round 16 <laughs> yeah. or 17. Fair enough. <laughs> what was your low light, Nico, apart from the Hawks losing? Low light? Do you mean high light? Well, I can mix it up. You can go, you I can go can low light. Up. Okay. I, was just, I was just going with the run sheet, but okay. We'll I, don't skip the the run, I don't go with the run we'll sheet. Go, we'll go low light. My we'll low, low light, light was Buddy's injury. Because we saved the best for last. That's why. Your low light, Buddy's injury. Buddy's injury. Um, I have him on track for... Well, I had him on track at the start of the season for a thousand goals by the time his career wraps up. Wraps up, yeah. And yeah, he's out for another month now, which is a big letdown. And you know, hopefully, he can get back to playing. And uh, he did have a good game on the weekend Kick and last five. night. Yeah, that's it. So kicked five, the big um, bud. Yeah, we'll see if he can come back. Uh, Bone bruising, bone bruising of the knee, isn't sooner it? rather than later. I have, I've had it's that. fifty-six for a fifty-six. Thousand. Probably won't get it this year. He does have another year left on his contract after this season. Yeah. But if these injuries, but if he's playing a the, game every know, six weeks, if these niggling injuries continue. I just, I don't know. Yeah. If he know. kicks five a game, that's eleven games, twelve games. He's got twelve games in him. Sure, he's not going to kick five. Five again. Oh, there you go. But we'll see. Hopefully yeah. he does because I do want him to reach. I that hope he does as well. Milestone. And it, it's a better game when he's playing, so it's enjoyable to question. see him. Yeah, go um, for it. <laughs> if a player reaches a thousand goals, yeah, do fans get to run onto the field? No, they did it for plugger, didn't they? they? I think they did I was it for a bit plugger, young. but they um they will not let, especially now with COVID restrictions. I'll there's no it. way. I'll I mean, if I'm at the game, but they I'm said going. they warned people for. The, remember when Buddy was kicking a hundred against Fev? Oh yeah, I know. and it was yeah, either Fev, and yep. in the lead up, they said they're going to find everyone. Everyone, Never you're going to run on. You're going to run on either way. Yeah. But I, I'd assume that 
it would not happen in this day and age. I don't know. I'd just still run on. Uh, I'll if run I'm on at the you. game, I'll, I'll tell you I'll right now. Oh, I'm running yeah. on. That's Gordo, it. what was your low line? Uh, my low light is a bit of a weird one. It's the loss outrage merchants. So mm. everyone's been talking about the state of the game and how great it is to see goals kicked and the ball moving. Yep. And with that comes bigger losses. Better teams use the ball better. And if we're convincing the the lesser teams to try and take the game on and try and kick more goals and take more risks, they're going to make more mistakes and they're going to get beaten more convincingly. And so each week we get a result like Bulldogs versus Gold Coast, like yeah. St Kilda versus Richmond, and the first thing that pundits do is come out and tell us how disgusting St Kilda are yeah. and how disgusting Gold Coast are. The so result, the result of that, no, it won't be an overreaction. What will happen is that the next thing that St Kilda and Gold Coast do is, go, okay, well, we just won't make mistakes now. We'll play boring football and we'll play 60 versus 70 and we'll lose by 10 and everyone will say, oh, that was a dogged effort by a side that was clearly outclassed. So, yeah. But we have been for the last five or six years. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean because I heard last night Mark Robinson on 360 said, they said, what should the Saints do? And he goes, they should defend. They should get their defence right. But, but in saying that, it's not – the outrage is more about St Kilda, it was their pressure – that was disgusting. And that's mm. something you can control. You don't need to play boring football but, to get your pressure up. But the attacking and, football and having teams... So St Kilda, St Kilda, I think, has been sucked in. From the outside looking in, it looks like they've been sucked into playing a style that they don't have the players to do it. They don't, have the, they don't seem to, to what? have... What style to is have that? The, to try and take precise kicks, to try and surge the football forward. They're not... They can play fast footy. Last week you were sitting here telling me that under the roof was the best home and ground advantage in the AFL for oh, the Saints. And, and so I would have thought so, maybe. And you would have thought clear, so, but th- that's what I mean. That is their style. I mean, they played 25 good minutes of footy, hmm. but they can play fast. But then they got, and then they got blown out by a side that is far better than them. The thing that hurts them, right, Gordo, is, is the two ruckmen out. So they had Marshall and Ryder out. And for once, the Tigers slaughtered them in the clearances, which never happens. Mm. And we had Marlon Pickett was even in the ruck and won two taps. It was it was a clear um, example that when you're missing your two, what, like two of their best players, say, Ryder and Marshall are great. Marshall especially as a ruckman. So it was clearances there. But it, the whole point of that is when you're getting beat, you, you want to step up your pressure and try and win it back. They didn't. They dropped. They dropped their heads. It was so easy for the Tigers. They outnumber. They looked but great. But the game allows that to happen now as well because it's 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 so open to scoring that once a 10 gets momentum, it's very hard to turn that around. We saw that even with Melbourne and Hawthorne. Hawthorne was with Melbourne for yeah, three quarters yeah, and then you, you got, quote-unquote, blown out because you lost uh, by... Yeah, I know, but you can't compare a bottom four side with a potentially top four side. But St Kilda last year where... Um, well, I mean, you guys faced each other. St Kilda and Richmond faced each other in the semi-final, was it? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, it shouldn't be that big of a difference between the two teams. But and no, I know what your point but, is. Yeah, your but point but is, my point is that every, yeah, each I week know. we're going to get yep. these. We're going to get yeah. three big blowouts every week when a top four team plays a, an outside the eight team. But you, yeah, yeah, but that's okay. That's the thing. And we have to be okay have... with that. We have to be okay with Carlton losing by by plenty to Port. Like, they can lose better, sure, but they're going to lose by plenty. Yeah, I think it's if it's a game style that doesn't match up or anything, fair enough. But when it's actual effort, like Carlton's one was a complete, it was an effort. They opened them up during uh, through the ground. There's players not getting goal side of them. It's like effort things that you look at and go, where's the heart? Where's the hunger? It's not like a game style. I know what you mean because if they keep abusing and putting the pressure on coaches, what are the coaches going to do? They're going to try and protect games, which is what Brendan Bolton tried to do for years, and which is why he got sacked. Hmm. But um, that's a fair enough one. What's your highlight, Nico? My highlight was the Sydney Derby. It was by far the game of the round. I thought um, the Richmond game was, to be honest. <laughs> of course it did. <laughs> but no, the Sydney Derby was um, was incredible. Uh, you could never really write off the Giants, even though they were almost kicking themselves out of it. 
I think they ended up kicking them, what, like 17 behinds or something. Um, but they just kept yeah. coming. And I said it last week, you can't write the Giants off against the Swans. And I think I think it was... Um, I think it's You said st- that, but you I tipped the Swans. I said I was going to tip the Swans, but I said not to write the Giants off. How's like, Nico sending a message in the group bragging that you shouldn't write off the Giants and he didn't even tip them? I said I wouldn't tip them, but I just said don't. It's not a certainty because that's what the that's conversation thanks, thanks was. Okay. Well, thanks for also predicting that it might have rained today. Like you're on, you're on fire. Come yeah. on, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. But um, yeah, I think I think uh, although it was a good game, um, this, this the Sydney team. I think it was a result of a few of the young players getting tired. I think. Uh, with the teams coming out last week, a lot of a lot of the sides were resting a few of their a few of their younger boys. But yeah, they, these young players—it's a good example. These young players like McDonald and Golden and uh, players like that—they're going to get tired throughout the season. I think the expectation on the Swans may have been a bit too much heading into the game. But yeah. It yeah. was great. It's great not. Yeah, well, it's not the their end. fault. The expectations there because they've only played their game, and it's not like Long uh, Longmire's going. Hey, hey, look at us. He's playing it down as well. But we we're all impressed by what they showed. I just thought it, uh, GWS, which is why I tipped them. I'll say Nico, I tipped them. Yes, good on you. <laughs> um, they, listen to my advice. Yeah, I listen to your advice. So thanks for that, mate. I just it just showed, they've got a good record at the STG. Sydney historically don't play that well there, but. Um, they are a young side and some teams can be due for a loss and it is hard to keep up that pressure every single week, especially when you're a young side. And I thought um, they're starting to click a little bit, GWS. I know you're off them, Gordo. You can say your piece, but um, they are the younger boys are starting to click a little bit and that was a gutsy win. They had a gutsy win against Collingwood and a gutsy win against, GW, uh, against, against Sydney. And when you looked at the successful um, years from GWS, they'd pull in those gutsy wins, those tough, hard-fought um, slogs. But when you looked at those good years from GWS, they also yep. won well. Yeah, so more often than not. So I far, their the only wins this year have been have been gutsy wins. Well, no, Collingwood win was a they won well. They kicked themselves out of it, like Nico said against yeah. against Sydney. They could have won by a lot more. But that's what they've missed. Like previous Giants teams had polish. That this team doesn't have polish. So they've this got the dogs. They've got the dogs coming up. Dogs, Adelaide, Essen, and Richmond coming up. And you're you're riding them off this season. They'll go How two and two in that. Two and two in that. Okay. Okay. Your, your highlight, Gordon. Uh, my highlight is that we have a, for the first time in a long time, I felt like we have a legitimate five horse race. Yeah. And that is me conceding and giving Melbourne its due. <laughs> pretty hard. It's, <laughs> I'm pretty hard. Against Hawthorne. <laughs> <laughs> against Hawthorne. You said that to do a lot more. That's good. That's what we want. Well, what they did is they, they, they turned up when they were meant to. I think throughout the history of this modern, you know, the, the Gorn era, that from the Gorn draft onwards, Melbourne have kind of played that emotional game a lot where they, they get up for games when they when things are against them and then when they are favourites and front runners they fall over. They were challenged. At three quarter time I was like I think they were lucky. <laughs> Although I agree with you. No, but they, they were challenged and it, it's well, how are they to lucky? quote Nathan Buckley, it's a win loss so it's a win loss industry. They 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 old Melbourne last year's Melbourne would have lost that game. The year before would have lost that game. They would have gone, oh my God, this is too hard. We don't know what to do. Instead the players that usually choke stood up, they got a win and then they went on with it. And made a, made a point out of it. Nico, why yeah. were they lucky? The Ds were lucky because uh, there, there was two stages late in the game. Um, well, not late in the game, but one late in the third quarter. I think Wingard was a whisker away from getting a toe to the ball um, on the goal line, which would have uh, given Hawthorne the last goal of the third quarter, which would have put him within a goal. But instead, mm-hmm. no, it would have put them in front, sorry. But instead, Melbourne went coast to coast. They survived that. Went coast to coast. 
kicked a goal and it ruined the momentum a bit. And then in the last quarter, like you said earlier, Hawthorne kicked the first goal, got within four points, and then they go forward again, the Hawks. Tim O'Brien drops a mark at the tip of the goal square, and then Melbourne go coast to coast, kick another goal, and that just completely I can ruined the then, momentum. Then, it ruined the momentum. And then Mitch and Brown kicks back, against a back better to, team. back-to-back goals, and then Ed yes. Langan kicks I'm a goal, saying, and I'm then Jake Melksham kicks a goal, I'm and then Clayton Oliver the kicks momentum. a goal, and then Petraka kicks a goal, and Gordon, then they win by 50 Gordon. points. <laughs> I don't think you understand what I'm saying. I don't think two moments no, in this no, game does not mean they don't win by 50 points. I'm just saying it killed the momentum, and a better team, a better team, wouldn't have made the mistakes Hawthorne did and would have capitalised on their opportunities oh. and it would have been a different I don't think that result. Melbourne's going to win the premiership based off what we've seen this year. I'm just saying that they're in the race now. I can I see them. I always said and they were come in the race, into, I still do. And I I'm just saying I'm it's just strange saying for you to come it's, out It's nice them. No, it's because they beat Hawthorne. It's because they bet a team they should and the way that they bet Hawthorne. I respectfully disagree with you because I think that Melbourne, sometimes you play as good as your opposition, but um, in the third quarter when... The, the final quarter at the end of the third, Hawthorne kicked the first one in a game. If that was last year or the year before, Melbourne lose that. Like they've, they they generate nineteen they inside fifties in the last yeah, quarter I'm to your five. I'm saying they, they could have eight lost goals to two in the last quarter. Is what I'm saying is Hawthorne's this is like a, a side. Polish this is a side. Melbourne that's fine. This is a side it. that's different. This is a side that was horrible with their skills. They've improved that out of sight. Now maybe that's this Choc- is a side that was the worst Choco inside fifty side in the Choc- comp. Maybe that's Choco Williams with his kicking, but it's also a confidence thing as well. Their kicking around the ground is great. The Gorn Jackson combo is terrific. Tom McDonald's actually playing well. Never thought I'd say it. He's in career best form, and they haven't even had their two forwards come back. And I know you don't rate. Did you just um, say that Tom McDonald's in career best form? Yes. Do you know how many offensive one on ones he's won this year? How many? Zero. That's fine. He's in career zero best from form. seventeen. That's fine. That's fine. Just for the record, just for the record, I don't disagree with you with Melbourne being one of the contenders. I'm just saying it's strange for you to um, change your view on the D's after winning. Well, you have Hawthorne. to change after your view one, eventually, and I think five and zero in quarter doing. against Hawthorne. That's the point. Is the point is they had the good quarter last year's Melbourne and saying, other versions of Melbourne wouldn't have had that against quarter. The, Maybe sixteen other teams in the comp they would have lost that. The game. thing is, I'm not. I'm not saying that they're a flag contender. I honestly don't believe. Like what so we've it's seen, not so a five f- horse race. It's not seen, a great example. What we've seen days. so far has been great, but I've still. We've all watched enough footy to know that it's we're five rounds in. We're we're twenty one percent of the season in. I know, but having said that, and having read your they're, article, they're going to make finals. But usually by now, we know yeah. who can actually contend. They'll make finals, and usually it's one or two or three. Well, from what we've seen, yes. the last three years have been Richmond and who else. This is the first year in ages we've had people go, there's five. Like, the doggies look yeah. legit. Well, that, that's Melbourne the thing. Looks it, it legit. leads into this. Is this this week? This week is a huge test for Melbourne. Oh, yeah. So they haven't been tested fully. They, they yes, they smacked. They look great against the, the Saints. Yeah. And they look great against, who do they smack? They've beaten Fremantle. Fremantle. Though, they beat Fremantle. They smacked St. Kilda. They beat Hawthorne. And they had another big win against Geelong. Okay? Yeah. All right. They look good, but they're not. They didn't get Geelong at their best. They didn't get St Kilda at their best. This will be a mm-hmm. big test. Richmond's in form, and you want to see. And I'm uh, man enough to say that I'm not sure on them. 
but I don't. I want to learn about Melbourne and see where they're at. So, this what's week. what's the pass mark for Melbourne this week? Because can this I just is ask you this question? Because this is exactly what Dario says. He, he, okay. He um he's uh, you're the cane corns for Dario. So Dario okay. Casale emailed in. Right. First he said, can you guys do it daily or get your own radio show? One hour a week is not enough, except for Gordo. He can stay one hour a week. Then he goes, Gordo, how do you think the Ds will go against Richmond? What would be a pass mark for them? Because well, he knows you were, you were very critical of Melbourne. He didn't believe in them. So what's a pass mark? I'm, I'd be happy with an honourable loss. Because at the moment, Richmond has nothing to lose. And again, these are the these are the question marks he had from previous Melbourne Melbourne iterations. Mm. And so last week was the game that would lose when challenged at after after the fourth quarter. And Nico says that against other teams, they they would have lost that game potentially. Still, this is a game where, like, this is like this is a legit almost finals like atmosphere game for them, where they can prove a point here. They can come out and say, "Here's our we're going six and zero. We've beaten the premiers, the reigning back to back premiers. We are legit. Let's go on from here." Or they can come out and Richmond can do a number on them like Richmond can do to, yeah. to, to teams. So I, even like an honourable, let's go all the way through, you know, less than three goals difference, mm. look good, put in the effort, have the systems work against it, against uh, the, against the benchmark side would be good yeah. enough. They don't have to win this. And I want to. I want to see how they. Yeah, I want to see this week how they perform because they haven't had a pressure cooker game. They haven't had a mm. finals like game. This is a big test because they're like like from what we've seen, they've been great. But like I said, they're like that friend. You know, that one friend you're like, he won't let me down again. He'll be all right. He'll he'll make it. He'll show up. He'll show up. Doesn't show up. And they'll be they'll be. And they've let their fans game. so many times. Yeah, yeah. Go. They'll be seeing this game as an opportunity to uh, show the footy world as well. So. Prove everyone wrong, see. and they promised a lot of people things in the preseason, and they are starting to deliver. Yeah. But we'll see this week. And the issue with it though is that Richmond really has nothing to gain from it either, so nothing or nothing to lose. Both of it, it's, well, it's mean, inconsequential to Richmond. If they lose this game, if they lose, they go three and three, don't they? They There's go three no and three, but they they'll still finish top four eventually, no and pr- they're definitely yeah. going to play finals, and they're the reigning premiers, and You're no one has any question marks. Yeah, I know. They're not in the, the furnace or the pressure cooker or whatever you know <laughs> other mainstream things call them. I know, but if Melbourne, but if do Melbourne lose this by a lot. Then all of a sudden it's oh it's old Melbourne. I know. I know they're five and one, but it's old you Melbourne. You, I know, but Richmond's position wouldn't be good either if they come out and get smacked by fifty points. But you don't see Richmond getting smacked very often. No, but you are the worrying one. You're all it, the fans are like happen, this because everyone doesn't want Richmond to win the flag this year unless you're a Richmond supporter. So yeah. they're just trying to find little things. That oh, the wheels are falling off, or maybe they're not as good as we're hoping. Do they want it? Are they hungry still? <laughs> nah, it's fair enough too. That's fair enough, Nico, because you don't want them to equal the three Pete that Hawthorne did and and no, officially no, become the best side of the modern era. Nico, this one's for you from Dario. Dario Casale again emailed in. Yep. Gordo, no, not Gordo. What am I reading? <laughs> oh, mate, it's been a long day already. I tell you what. Uh, where the hell is the next one? If the stars align, Nico, and everything works out, and Gary Ablett. Uh, can be eligible for the mid-season draft. Should Geelong clear cap space for him? Geelong, no, no way, no way, okay. no way. They've already got a team of veterans. Don't look at me. Talk to Dario. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying they've already got a team of veterans. But By taking out someone, or if someone gets injured, or whatever, and a spot comes available, why would you be? Why would you be bringing Gaz back in? What would what, I'll play the devil's he advocate he, here? He, I know, but he hasn't. He hasn't played footy. Let in. me speak. I'm playing. Hang on a second. Final. I know he hasn't played. I'm saying they're playing for now. So there's like, if they're going, yeah, we're going to win the flag now. Why? Why don't we go for it and bring someone in? 
I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't. I think he's I don't think it. he fixes and their problems. That's not the problem that they've got. I think, I think he that's doesn't not, fix anything. Would you? Would okay. Another team then. Would another team benefit by bringing him in? Um. The answer is yes, because David Mundy has shown that it doesn't matter about your age. Experience, I mean, he's still good at his age. I think he can offer a lot to other teams, whether that's um, behind-the-scenes stuff. But if he's, if someone genuinely wants to play still, someone of his calibre, he could definitely help. Like Who? He could help a, a developing I'm, I'm struggling to think of Gold Coast. an example. Okay, you bring Gary Ablett in. North, who you said that have got too many young players. But it's Would he help their it's forwards develop? But he's not, not playing. Really. It's not if he was anything. playing as an inside mid, like like a Monday, if he was playing like a more. like a half, yeah, a half back maybe, like Hodge was at Brisbane. I think I'd still rather play the kids. So no, he's so it's a no from spot. you. It's a no from nah. you, Gary Ablett. And I also don't know. I don't know. Apparently. I don't understand why he <laughs> wants to come back and play. Like I know that every you know every sports person dies twice: once when they retire, once when they actually pass away. But like. Surely, if he has any concept of like his legacy, or like if he wants to play footy, just go play footy. But like, does he actually want to go back and play AFL footy? Because like, he was he was very reclusive in his why career anyway. Like, why? Yeah. Place. Well, people can change their mind. People are allowed to change their mind. They're allowed to make decisions. But I think this is kind of like the steps of the steps of a time is very similar to steps of grief. I think he's just going through yeah, like well, the, the been, denial period, being like, actually, you know what? I am I'm, I'm still good enough to play, maybe. But as as Nico said, like he isn't he isn't trained. He's, like if you follow him on his socials and whatever, someone as professional as that could I get mean, back into uh, get fit. But he it? wasn't even had his peak fitness levels in his the last, last couple year, of yeah. years for Geelong. So well, there you go. Nick doesn't rate Gary Ablett. <laughs> <laughs> All That's right, not what he said. Um, <laughs> this is a message from Josh Toth, and this is something. Yes, this is what I wanted to bring up because I I fully agree with Josh here. Someone needs to talk about the advantage rule and change it to how soccer do. I've been going on about this for ages. Can the umps just not blow the whistle if it's advantage? Just wait a second. Because once you blow that whistle... Everyone stops. Everybody stops. And it is unfair because then you give away 50s as well if someone thinks it's their... Mate, just if you're going to read the game, because sometimes they blow it late. Like, there's no point. Why can't we just say, if the ump sees an advantage... Don't blow the whistle. Just call advantage. And people go, oh, maybe they can't hear him. Or maybe they can't hear you say stand either. But you've got to listen for the umpire's call stand, don't you? Yeah. So are we okay with them bringing it back like they do in soccer or football? Yes, bring it back if it's... Absolutely. If you've blown the whistle, everybody stops. You can see some players take advantage of it. The whistle, the the umpire blows the whistle, everyone stops, and he's like, oh, awesome. Free runner going. And he keeps going. The ump's like, oh, yeah. Play on. I know. Play I on. just hate it's it. Just, <laughs> what? But why, we are the Everyone's only game stopped. in the world, aren't we, that does that? Yeah. We're the only game that Shocking. does that. Literally Shocking. every game will have the referee point in the direction yeah, and, and then just wait advantage. and then be like, and, yeah, and then just drop their hand yeah, if it goes on. And why can't we do what we were young and say, hard. play to the whistle? If you don't hear the whistle, keep playing. Yeah. And that's what that's And it's what not a hard call, call to make. The umpire just needs to hold off from blowing it for one second and see if there is an advantage. Well, Nick, if there's one person that can make this rule happen, it's your coach, Clarko, because he controls the AFL. So make so sure... So should. So you can, you can tell him at training at the press of you the only, this week. only problem with this, though, is that because footy's 360 degrees... I know. It's, it makes it hard. It, like, what is advantage? So is oh, getting the kickoff advantage, or is the kick being an effective kick advantage? Or I think it just plays exactly the same as it is now. Because like, like soccer, soccer, you give the advantage and you miss the shot at goal. 
everyone's okay with that because that's how they've played it forever. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's but if, but if, if they take the advantage and then they kick it out and bounds on the fall or whatever, everyone will be like, where was the advantage? Oh, that wasn't advantage. And then, then we have the, this throw up because the, we've never but, done it before. But the player takes it upon himself to take that advantage. Oh, we, we're smart enough to comprehend that. I'm just yeah. saying when we expand this out to 100,000, hopefully at the MCG on Grand but Final Day. Make, when you look at that, is it more logical to go, I'm going to blow the whistle every time as a free kick, but then you can just start running randomly and I'm going to call advantage. Yeah. That's stupid. And then everyone has to play catch-up. It's just, yeah, I know what you mean, but geez, yeah, no, I'm, I'm full of greens and so everyone is. Hey, I'll read out this tweet. This is from James Rosewarn, I think. Did I spell his name right? I probably did. From Stats Insider. Great guy. I've had a couple of conversations with him. He said, shout out to James Zabo and his genuinely excellent podcast. Great discussion here with the revered Finey and a must listen for those particularly interested in our contemporary sports media landscape. Thank you. That is the greatest accomplishment I've ever had on this podcast. Is that just a straight <laughs> pump up from you? That's too? just a yeah. straight pump up. <laughs> no Normally it's abuse, so I thought I'd change <laughs> it up a little bit. But that's good. Thank you for listening and thanks for the, uh, the feedback. I've got a couple questions to end off. I'll ask you boys. Firstly, oh, yeah, firstly... The, the pies and their phone deal, okay? Is that a big deal? Overreaction. Overreaction from you and you? It's an overreaction for what it is, but what happens if in like in three months' time there's like an insight? Like once if James, the best podcaster in the room, <laughs> gets the scoop and actually they're back at it again betting on themselves. And I'm telling, okay, this is this is my thing on it. It's not an overreaction, okay? I, I think some of the fines people have mentioned are an overreaction. It shouldn't happen. It should not happen at all. Okay, we had... The thing was, and Bucks' excuse made it even worse, that he's saying the guy who did it was concussed, wasn't thinking clearly. There shouldn't be an opportunity to, for him to do that if he's not thinking clearly. Don't the phones and go then, in, Like, someone unlocked the phone so box, that's the thing. They? Someone, um, yeah, and, and also... So someone stuffed Robo up. asked him. Robbo okay. asked him. Like, they were done for the game. They know... Like they they now have inside information. They know... Integrity in sport is huge, Nico, and there should be not be the opportunity for something like that to happen. Nothing at all, okay? And it's even simple as, like, you've got to simplify it out and said, what if they know who's moving forward, who's moving back, put someone to kick oh, it on the next Oh, but not even that. Quarter. In it's terms of, like, anything. if they're off for the game, right, they can go to someone who's not associated with their accounts and say, yeah, I won't be playing anymore today. I'm pretty sure the over-under line on my disposals for the game was... You was find 12. That out on the telecast anyway. I know, but, but they do it before the telecast finds out because they've gone straight into the rooms. No Nick, one knows. There shouldn't be the opportunity for that to happen. That's why they way. can't touch their phone. I know it's wrong. And the second Look, wait, Nico, wrong. wait. Yeah. Last night, Robbo asked Buckley this, and his second point was, "Oh, we're understaffed, so there was no one there with him to." Be- Mate, we used to have Bazza from the canteen pick up our phones in a Ziploc bag and keep them until the end of the game. You're telling me someone from Collingwood can't take care of the phones? Until the game is over. There should be no opportunity for that to happen. And I think, yeah, the million-dollar fines are stupid. That's an overreaction. But it is not good. There's no excuse. It's a fine. You cop your whack, whatever it is. But there should be no excuse from Bucks and go, oh, but this happened. It's a Collingwood thing that they do that, don't they? Hmm. When when Sidebottom had that, in, oh, he had a piece, he had that scotch that he wasn't used to. And we've all done it. We've walked out on the street naked. No, we haven't all done it, okay? You cop your whack. Yep. You admit you put your hand up. You made a mistake. Those boys made a mistake. Yeah. Move on. Nico, there's we're, no we're, excuse. I know there's no excuse, but when when the screenshot of the, the camera footage came out on social media and it, the title, the captions were, oh, Collingwood players caught handling something, passing something to each other. I'm like, oh, what is it? Drugs? You know? I don't know. A, a weapon? Like, what are they talking about? Well, and it was a mobile th- phone. I was uh, like, we know oh, no articles okay. are yeah. designed to get you clicking. I know. But I, the commentary around it is what I meant more than the article headlines. Um, are, this, are you off the Saints, Gordo? Kind of have to be, don't you? 
until they, and then as you said, like like the friend that lets you down, you know, eventually, and now you're finally, you know, you've finally broken up with that friend, yeah? Yeah. That friend wants you back. <laughs> How many times do they have to show you like an act of trust before you let them back? You were very much, so there's one game that's put you off them because you were very much on them last week. So it's that one game, it's that Richmond game that's put you off them. I think that game kind of confirmed, however, that they had the ability to just turn off really quickly, as you said. Like it, effort stuff. That's the part I don't quite understand about football teams or sports teams in general. Is like, how do you not bring effort? Like, surely that's we can do that. We can run around hard on a football field and just not be very talented. Your spit, I couldn't say that. But yeah, like, you could play. Gordo could play AFL. That's the headline. <laughs> no, but, I know. Yeah, but but like, so. So why don't you? Is is the part I I don't understand. Fans never understand. And so like until they show that regularly, you can't really be on them. I suppose. Yeah. Well, Nico, you off them? Yeah, I'm off them. Uh, I think it's a game plan problem. Yeah. I think they haven't. Is it the ball movement? Oh yeah, I think they haven't adapted to the new rules. I I think usually when um, sorry, I need to get my head around this. When the opposition, for example, Richmond have it. If you have it in your defence, it takes one or two kicks to be out and St Kilda are just left chasing tail. They're, they're always behind the ball. And uh, I think it's it's got to do with the fast ball movement used against St Kilda. And, yeah, I, I just think they haven't uh, adapted to the rules at all. Mm. And they definitely don't on a team that has, like, mistakes at the back of their mind. So when Richmond goes forward at, at a very fast rate, the defence yep. sets up behind them knowing that even if we do turn the ball over, that's okay, we'll mop it up. Yeah, like they almost expect to turn the ball over, and then we'll just deal with it and then go again. And it's yep. the repeat entries that get Richmond the way they go. St Kilda doesn't have that. St Kilda go, oh, we're just going to go forward and we're going to nail it. And if we don't, well, then we'll work that out later. And as you said, they end up chasing tail. So as you said, they, yeah. they defensive game style isn't getting ready to defend when you have the ball in hand. They only get ready to defend once they've lost the ball, and that's too late. Yeah, maybe I'm different. I'm not as like I'm a little bit more bullish about the Saints because it's not like they're bad players. Okay, they it was an effort problem on, and they were gone from the first minute. But why? They, why is this effort down? We're talking I about know, class players like Hill. I, I know that's what Crouch, I'm saying. There's Jack still Steel. class players, but, but it, must I, be I wrong. think that you can be. You can, you I think you can be influ- like you put your head down, and it's contagious. They put their head down immediately after the first quarter, and they were chasing tail, mm. even though they were in it on the scoreboard in the first that quarter. That being said, though, this season actually looks better than what it actually is. I think for the Saints, because if you yeah, go on, if you go, but if you go on quarters of one, quarters one this year. They are second last, only to North Melbourne. Yeah, but they're still not a bad. That's the thing. I don't think. I don't think they're a bad side. I think when those ruckmen come back in, and they're missing, they've still got injured players. Like they're not. Every team has injured players. I know. All right. They well, do. I'm not as I'm not as negative about them as you guys are. Last one, are the Lions back after that? Now, just to to put it in context, that is a wet, um, flooded game. And they were able to kick over 100 points. Like, that is embarrassing. But it is. That's like the Lions' dream. That's the Lions' dream, the Dons' nightmare. They're an out, Dons are an outside team that like it kind of like pretty football. And the Lions like it inside and contested. But they just and had so much space. They, they just had so had much space, space but like they also just would win the clearance and then the Dons didn't bring much in defence either. So the Dons had a stinker and Lions had a pretty good game and they get up the and points again, at home. It's a case of a top four team playing a bottom four team. And I don't think that the Lions went anywhere. So they're not really coming back from anything. I thought they, they were still always a class team. The losses they had, they weren't that far off the mark anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, Danaher was fantastic. 25 it disposals. Came up, played more up yeah. the ground. Lockie Neal's back to Eight his marks. best. Lockie Neal was fantastic as well. Hugh McCluggage played well. Um, it was good from the Lions. 
and horrible from the Dons. I think it was more about the Dons being bad. You do, you can't allow a team to score over 100 points in the wet like that. Like, that was embarrassing. That's bad. That shows a lack of heart. And um, that's something that we have at this podcast. A lot of heart and a lot of effort. And I'm really proud of you guys today because you did a good job. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> so thanks for the effort, boys. Any last thoughts before we go? Give us, give us a hot take, Jimmy. For this give, week. Give us a 21.7% of the season hot take. Oh, I bet this whole season. Yeah, yeah. get to the ending. Okay. Miss the red herring, Miss herrings, and uh, give us some goosebumps. Oh, the, big, the ending is this, boys. The Tigers win back to back to back. They're the best team in the country. I reckon I could have guessed They've that. They've shown it. And North finish last. That's my hot take. Oh, well done. That's my hot take. We'll You're on for me. Yeah, you can go. You can go. Jeez. Give me one if you want. Um, because Gordon, Gordon's pretty certain on it. I reckon yeah. Freo won't make the eight. Yeah, and that's, that's it. Oh, so you wanted a hot take? You asked me a question. Yeah, I agree with that. Then let's yeah. just say, yeah, Freo don't make the eight. There you go. And your hot take is Freo make the eight. Yeah, still, still going with it. And Mundy can win the Brownlow. You said. Hey, he's probably you got three games where he could get three votes. He'd be leading out the stage. Of it. Yeah, whether It'd that continues or not, who knows? But yeah. well, there you go. And it was a Brownlow winning performance from all of us today. So, well done, guys. And uh, unless you go for Melbourne, I hope your team wins this weekend. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Take care of yourselves.